Hello and welcome back to the Fibo Fierce and Fit podcast. My name is Monica Eaton and I am the owner and CEO of Fibo Fierce and Fit. Today we have back on the podcast again, Kimberly Stratman, who is a retired police lieutenant out of Dallas Police Department. And she is here to share with us today some very insightful things and stories that she shared with me on some of her struggles in law enforcement over her career as a female in law enforcement and a female of rank at that, a time where she felt most accomplished and fulfilled, which you don't want to miss this story. I think it is so moving and so very cool how the outcome was of this call and how they handled it. And also she talks about some not so great times where she had to manage some stress and some trauma and figure out how to work through that. Some of the ways she did that and made a very fruitful and successful career out of everything that she went through. And she sums it up with some advice that I think can be helpful for anyone in law enforcement, especially women in the field now, and how to carve out your own path within your career and make it as fulfilling as you want it to be. Guys, you don't want to miss out on this. I was truly moved by some of the things that she said and the way she told her story. So listen all the way through. I guarantee you're going to learn something from it. So without further ado, Kimberly Stratman. I am Kimberly Stratman, retired police lieutenant from the Dallas Police Department. I had the career of law enforcement for just a little over 30 years. My husband is an active SWAT officer for Dallas still, and we live outside of Dallas in a, in a small town. And I have two grown boys and I spend my time now taking care of our one remaining dog. And I am a life coach for high-performing women and a retirement life coach for first responders. So I stay pretty busy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool that you took your experience from law enforcement in your 30-year career and also your leadership there to move into retirement yourself and then also help others to move into retirement. So I think that's super cool. Um, so I came up with five questions for you today, just kind of spitballing here, but I thought it would be cool for people to know and maybe hear from your perspective what law enforcement looks like, um, having your 30-year career and also being a female of rank, which I think is super cool because I think it's hard finding female, many women of rank within law enforcement today. So let's start with um, maybe one of the biggest struggles you had during your, your 30 year career. Well, I, I'll be honest on this. I think I kind of, on one hand, did a great disservice to myself um, during my career because I didn't always recognize what was a struggle or what was an obstacle. So I say that was a disservice because I didn't maybe always handle things the best way or I maybe didn't learn things the first time. But on the other hand, I think it worked out really well because it never really stopped me. I never really said, oh, there's something in my way. I, what am I gonna do? I just kept going forward, but what I think if other people were looking in, they would say that the biggest problem that our obstacle I had is 
I wasn't going to promote higher than the rank of lieutenant because I wasn't willing to take the time away from my children. As a divorced mother, um, I needed to be very careful and really protect my time I had with my kids. And that meant not going away to the amazing, awesome two, three, four week schools that the different agencies and organizations put on. Um, that was kind of the biggest thing for me, I think, is having to either consciously or unconsciously realize that I wasn't going to promote higher than lieutenant uh, because I was putting my kids first. And I will tell you that I do not regret it. I don't regret that at all. And uh, I did have, you know, there were a couple chiefs that, you know, just were very blatant about it. Like, well, if you're not willing to do this, you're never going to promote, you know, you're getting in the way of your career. And I just, it was like, it was a no brainer for me. It was just, you know, I had two little boys. Of course, I was going to pick them first. I think that happens to a lot of people. So it is not just me that it happens to, but I think it really happens to women. I think it really happens to, to women. So that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so, I mean, was that, like, did you feel guilty during that time maybe of, of making that decision versus kids versus career? Or do you think... Do you think there was a lot of pressure from your work that was guilting you into putting your career first versus your family? Um, I will really, I really want to go on record and say that I worked for some very good chiefs. The way our department was set up is as a lieutenant, you reported directly to a one-star chief. And then, you know, the one star reported up from that. And so as a lieutenant, um, back before Dallas had the rank of major, um, the lieutenant kind of did, did everything. And I worked for chiefs that allowed me to give a thousand percent when I was at work. And they trusted me and they knew that if I'm at work, I'm going to give a thousand percent. And I'm, if I'm at home, I'm going to answer the phone and I'm going to answer at the time, you know, the text messages, the pagers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to back in the day and, um, you know, go to meetings, even outside of my shift time, go to meetings if it didn't interfere with my children. And so when I told them I couldn't do something because of the kids, I didn't get any pressure and I didn't get any um, pushback from the majority of them because they knew that I gave a thousand percent um, to them. And um, and I didn't drop overtime cards. Like if I got a phone call, I didn't drop an overtime card for that. You know, I, I did my job. I, I took care of things. And the times that I did feel the pressure was I was nominated to go. So here in Dallas, we have a couple of um, organizations that do some local training, really good training. And it's very affordable for Dallas to send us there because we don't have to stay in a hotel. We just drive there from the Metroplex. But I wouldn't be able to take my kids to school in the morning. And I worked nights. So I took my kids to school in the morning and I picked them up in the afternoon. And if I went to this school, I couldn't have done it. And I made the comment, oh, I can't do that. I take my kids to school in the morning. And the chief was flabbergasted. He's like, well, get someone else to take your kids to school for two weeks. I'm like, not doing it, not, not doing it. And, 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 you know, on one hand, I appreciate the fact that I, the, the opportunity was offered 
And I appreciate the fact that the chief pointed out to me, you're not going to go anywhere if you don't, you know, make your decisions differently. I didn't get mad about it. I, did, I wasn't offended by it. It was like, if you tell me the rules, I know how I'm going to play. If you tell me the guidelines and the requirements, I'll let you know if I'm in. You know, that's better than, you know, not letting me know what's going on. And then I'm shocked if it doesn't happen. Right. That's awesome. It sounds like your environment that you worked in was very respectable in the sense that you were able to, I guess, give what you could give and also control what you control, but also set that boundary of like my kids are my boundary. If it affects my kids, I'm not going to do the thing or, or go to the training or whatever. And I think at the end of the day, that probably preserved you and it preserved your mental health and it preserved your family time, which I know a lot of women struggle with finding that boundary or that line um, of how much do I work? How much do I give to my family and how much do I do for myself? So it sounds like you did a really good job of, of managing those two and also like earning the respect of your superiors at the time too, of being like, no, like I'm here to give you my hundred percent, but here's my boundary. Um, and I'm going to stick with that. It's, you know, um, it was easy at the time because I'll be honest, you know, going through divorce and, and dealing with stuff like that, that was the hard part of my life. That was, was the hard thing. And since the boys were the most important thing to me, ever, all my decisions were based on that. Now, I also want to, to um, really make this point, and that is once I had my children to their dad, or once I had my children to school, or once I had my children to Boy Scouts or where they were going, and I was at work, my mind was at work. And I recognized that I needed to do that. I, when I said I gave a thousand percent to work, I gave a thousand percent to work. Um, I made sure that my kids were someplace safe and then I can take care of all of my responsibilities. And like I said, I served chiefs that, that, that took care of me, um, that allowed me to do my job. And so I did my job and I worked with officers that knew that I was giving them 100% and I expected 100% from them. And it worked very well. And so I guess that's would refer to that as compartmentalizing your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I, was able, I was able to do that. I was able to do that. Very cool. Definitely, definitely a tough time I can tell. And, and maybe we'll get into that at a, at a later time. But um, let's switch gears to something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, how about talking about a time where you felt most accomplished or fulfilled within your career? If you can think of one or a couple, maybe. I have an example. And I was actually thinking about just the other day. And it's not very light or um, or easy, but I, let me just tell it. Let me just tell it to you. So this was back um, probably about 12 years ago and not everybody on the department had tasers at that time. And I was working deep night and I was working in a part of town that we were very, very, very busy. We were very busy all the time, very short staffed. And even though I was a Lieutenant, I was out answering calls. I was covering my guys um, and we were busy and it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be at work, you might as well be working, right? Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it, yeah, 
it's a part of town that definitely needed people to serve them and, and take care of them and help them. And a call came out of a man uh, being aggressive in his underwear. Now, this is the middle of the night. It's a shopping center that's closed. Shopping center's closed. Um, and I get there almost right after my first couple officers get there. And they're very young officers, very young officers, very good, off good men, but very young. And we get there and there's this huge man in his underwear um, moving around very um, oddly, right? Very oddly. You can tell he wasn't with it. Now, uh, um, this is a part of town that we did answer a lot of calls with people on drugs. And we would get hurt dealing with them because they the strength, the superhuman strength that would be um, they would have. And it took a lot of officers. And then we needed the paramedics because then they would die. I mean, it was just, you know, because of the drugs in their system, yeah, excited yeah. delirium and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But, and so kind of that's what we thought we had in the situation. So we get a bunch of officers there, the paramedics are there. And one of the guys is like, I think I'm going to tase them. And I just said, let's really think about that. I said, you know, we've, we've got control of the scene. He's not going to hurt himself. He can't run into traffic. There's nobody else around. It's just us. Let's see what we have. And the officers are like, okay, now it, it, let's be fair to them. We are responsible for keeping the citizens safe. And if this individual had run out into the street or done something, you know, we're responsible for him. Right. But anyway. He ends up going up towards a building, up towards the shopping center windows. It's a strip shopping center. And the windows are mirrored. Security nightmare, right? But they're mirrored. Yeah. But this individual can see himself in the mirror and he starts looking at himself. And I could tell at all at the same time, we all realized that this is a boy. This is not a grown man in his underwear. This is a boy. It's a very large boy, but it's a boy. And he sees himself in the, in the reflection and he starts moving and watching himself. And my officers are able to go up and just gently put their hands on him, put the handcuffs on him and the paramedics quickly get him onto um, a gurney. And I remember the looks on my officers' faces. They were just like, what was that? What happened? And one of the guys came up to me and said, what do you think that, what do you think it was? I said, well, I think we're gonna find out that he's autistic and I'll be darned at exactly at that moment, the dispatcher comes on the air and said, Hey, there's a grandmother. She's reporting her 13 year old grandchild has escaped the house. He's severely oh. autistic. And the officers were like, Oh my gosh, we would have tased him. You know, he's a kid and he needed his help or whatever. I said, no, no, no. You, you know, you thought about it. You figured this out on your own. So I wrote a commendation for them. And I explained in depth the call and their decision-making and how this individual was safe. He was taken to the hospital. He got whatever he needed. We got social services involved again for the family. But I wrote the commendation for him, all these officers. And then the chief that I was working for, he comes to me, calls me in the office. And um, he said, you're not on this commendation. And you were there. You need to be on this commendation. He goes, I hold you 100% responsible for what your officers do in the field. And your officers did the right thing and they, they do the right thing repeatedly. And I said, no, 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 this is them. They did this, this is them, you know, they get the credit. But he actually added me to that commendation. And that really, it, gosh, I'm getting emotional. But that really made the point to me 
that we matter. Look at me. You're laughing at me. Oh, this is no, I'm smiling because this is so cool. I love it. I love it. I really do. This just made the point to me that it matters. It matters if you expect your officers to do the right thing. Don't, don't expect these men to, and these women, especially, but at the time, this whole group I had was men, right. but don't expect them to be tough and tumble. And, you know, when I trained, you had to take control. You had to have hands on first. You had to do this first, blah, 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 blah. And it's a little different now. It's, it's still appropriate to get hands on first many times. It's still very appropriate. But there are other times you can step back. And you've heard me say before, widen the gap. Widen the gap of when you have to make the decision and when you have to take action. You know, take it when you have to, do what you have to do. Um, but in this one situation, we were able to slow down. It was such a learning experience for all of us because most of these young officers, you know, right out of college, right out of the military, they'd never dealt with an individual in this situation before. And so it was a, it was a, a neat experience. And then it was also nice to work for a chief that clearly pointed out, you know, you, you, you get what you give and you get what you expect. And so that was, that was nice. It was very, very fulfilling. And well, all these years later, it's, it's, you know, what I think about. So. No, that's so cool. I thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely not laughing at you. I'm smiling. Cause I think it's so, it's so cool to me. Plus I, uh, I have such a heart for like mental health and mental illness. And those were the calls that I always enjoyed working. And I always thought was fulfilling because those are the the people who are, are dealing with like mental crisis. Like they can't advocate for themselves at that point. So I always had a heart for those people. I always tried to help those people. So I think that's super cool. And I'm actually signed up for an autism class this month <laughs> that I'm going to um, that's on autism spectrum. So that's, that's timely. Um, very cool. I love that. Um, that was awesome that you were able to, um, not only learn, learn then yourself what was going on, but also like walk your guys through the process of, cause that's, that's tough even today. And I've had this conversation with my fiance of like, he always wants to get up and like throw, slap some handcuffs on and call it good. And I'm like, you realize as a female, like I can't do that. Like I would love to be able to do that, but my size often is so much smaller than the people that I'm dealing with that I'm doing this talking and dancing circle around the room sometimes with these people that if you push me and we go hands-on, it's going to happen, but I'm going to dance around until I can get somebody else there until we can and, and make it safer um, than me just trying to go hands-on with somebody when the fight is already unequal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. I love that. That was such a cool story. Thank you. All right. Um, so talking about some of those things, maybe getting a, a little emotional. I mean, what, what were some things that you did during your career that helped you to manage your stress or maybe helped you work through some of the not so happy calls or maybe just some stressful times you went through? What were some good methods or coping mechanisms you used? Well, full disclosure on this, and that is I didn't really. Um I didn't really, and and you will you will pay the price for it. You will eventually process everything that you have to process. Um, I didn't, and towards the end of my career, um, there are people who cared about me who said, "Hey, have you thought about going to therapy or counseling?" And I was like, "I won't tell you what I said, but." Um, <laughs> But I was like, absolutely not. I can't possibly do that right now because in my mind, I couldn't unpack things or I couldn't lay bare things. 
and then go back to work. You know, it's like, how do you open it all up and put it out there and then put a uniform back on and go back and do the same thing again? I now totally understand that there's things I could have been doing the whole time, but I just really wasn't aware of them. But, you know, like I had a shooting and it was like, they ask you, well, are you sleeping? Well, you know, you haven't slept for, you know, 10 days and you go, hell yeah, I'm sleeping. I want to go back to work, you know? And, um, you know, coworkers killed and you're, you're, you're answering a call after you leave the hospital and, you know, um, managing the hospital scene whenever you have an officer dead and, you know, my husband being in SWAT, he's out catching the bad guy that shot and killed the officer. And I'm managing a scene at the hospital, managing the partner, it's just a horrible thing. And my husband's out there and I'm like, okay, I can't deal with that. I have to deal with this. And then when my husband comes home that night and I come home that night, whoever gets home first, we're like, oh, I'm glad you're home. And that's it. And we go to bed, you know, with the dogs out, whatever, um, put a load of laundry and go to bed, get up the next morning and do it over again. And yeah. <laughs> how long do you do that? You know, right. I mean, really, how long do you do that? Some things that I think I did naturally that I was doing even before I was a police officer is I've always worked out. I've always ran or cycled and I always try to control what I can control, which some people would say that I'm a control freak because I, things I can control, I want to control them. Um, like my house has to, everything has to be in its place. Um, my kitchen cabinets have to be like organized. I mean, everything has to be in its place, but that's because I can't do anything about out in the world, but I can sure as hell, you know, keep things in order in my home. Um, my first marriage failed, you know, two young cops, you know, maybe that marriage could have made it if we knew how to handle the shit, you know? Um, yeah. So now I came from a law enforcement family. Uh, my dad was law military law enforcement. We moved every year, every two years or whatever. Um, so I didn't really have close relationships in my life. And the longer I was in the police department, the more relationships I was forming. I think that was very helpful. I think that was helpful to form these relationships that I didn't come into naturally. You know, like some of the women who, um, you know, went to the same high school and stuff or, you know, were in sororities and all, they might, you know, already have that ability to form those close relationships and they do it right away. I had to kind of learn as I was going. Mm -hmm to kind of learn it as I went on that. So yeah, I think the, the physical activity um, helped a lot and stuff that revolved, revolved around my voice. Okay. Yeah, I, that's good. I, I think those are good points as far as using your relationships at work to help stay positive. And then also obviously the fitness aspect of it, of that having a, a mental outlet as well. I mean, it's good for your, your health, but it's obviously, it's got the mental benefits too, which is a lot of what I promote and advocate too, of if you, if you stay in that routine, it's going to help you to have those mental benefits as well. Um, what, what advice knowing, knowing what you know now and, and everything that you've been through, I mean, what advice would you give to any officer on the street now, knowing that they may deal with those situations? I mean, what, 
what do you, I guess, wish you would have done then to better help you process some of those things? I wish that I would have not been ashamed of my deep emotions that I had. I think when you have two children whose father drowned them in a mud puddle that are dead, I think you're supposed to be mad. And I think you're supposed to cry. And, you know, we, we shove it down inside of us. We shove it in, we shove it in. Now, we've got to be completely honest about this. We can't be like a, a drama at work. Okay. I mean, you, you've got to do your job. You've got to go from call to call. You've got to take care of your shit. You got to be able to do it, you know? But I think that I wish I would have been better when, when it's safe, when I'm not responsible for somebody's life, when I'm not on a 911 call, uh, when I'm not planning the next um, operation, I think it would have been nice to really think about what happened and process it. Because I said earlier that you will process things you will, you're not going to get away with not processing things. It's going to happen. It's all in there. Like what I know now and all my coaching and training and, and education and stuff, we know now it is all in our brains. It is all there. It is in our bodies. It is in our brains. There's nothing that we have done that our brain does not know is there. Okay. It is there. And so I wish better at like maybe sleeping better so that things can get where they need to go in my brain. So they become a memory instead of a trauma. So like, I, you know, I have this picture of our brains, like we have buckets in our brains. And if we're not sleeping, all this, the events that happen don't get put in the memory bucket. They stay in the trauma bucket. So we've got these big buckets in part of our brains where we're not supposed to have buckets. We're supposed to have like, I don't know, paper bags, maybe, you know, just little places to hold them. And, and so I needed to process those. And so I am currently processing that stuff now. And it's funny when it comes up, it's really funny when it comes up. But I, I would tell people, be aware of that. Be aware of that. You know what? There are some people that this job is not for them. And if you reach a point where you do not believe that you could safely do your job, you need to be able to go forward and, and say that to the department and potentially come out of patrol or come out of the investigative unit that you're at, get some help that you need. And if you're not going to get it in that department, you need to leave. Now that's pie in the sky, right? People have mortgages, they have their kids in college, they have car payments or whatever, but we've got to get better at recognizing when we've reached our limits. We've got to get better at that. So I would ask officers, men and women, but especially our, our, our females to surround themselves they, they always say that if you're the most interesting person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to be around people that are more interesting than you, that are smarter than you. Well, I'm going to add something to that. You need to be around people that aren't as fucked up as you. Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah, you that's fine. That okay. That's real. So, yeah. You know, you need to be around people that they're not going to talk about the dead babies. They're not going to talk about the stuff. They're going to talk about other life, real life stuff that we don't have the time for. And then have the other people that you can talk about that with. And it can be a real conversation. And so you're not having to tiptoe what you say. So yeah, that sounds like you're compartmentalizing yourself later on. Well, maybe you have to do that. Maybe have the people that you can have the real life with the odd sense 
of humor, but also the serious conversations with, and then have the people that you have the rest of your life conversations with. Now, both groups should respect you, and you should have great respect for both groups. And I think sometimes that's where police officers have a problem because we segment ourselves away from the people like, hey, I don't hang around with cops because I want to talk about stuff that's not cop related. Well, that's good, but sometimes you need to talk about stuff that's cop related. You right. can't hide the fact, you know, your minimum of 40 hours a week, minimum of 40 hours a week of your life, you're spending more time awake at work than you are probably any place else in your life. So you need to have people you can talk about that. But on the other hand, don't lose the part of you that, you know, goes to church or is it plays bunco or is it works in a garden or is part of a cycling club or whatever. So I would say start doing that early on in your career. Don't wait until you retire to do that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I, I know for me, I realized yeah. early on, I, I used to get almost frustrated that anytime you're around cops, it's always the only thing you're talking about is like what call you had or, or like what horror story or funny story or it's all about your experiences at work and finally gets to the point of like how are your kids how's the fam like is there anything Mm -hmm. else that we can discuss that's not a call that we just went on or even even being cognizant of that like when I'm with other friends that aren't cops like hey let's not talk about work like let's stay present and literally talk about anything else but work because we're not at work right now so I think I definitely think that's that's solid yeah there's value to both of that because sometimes those conversations are processing. Sometimes it's taking it out of the trauma, put it into the memory. Or sometimes somebody just wants you to say, man, that was really awful. Because everybody's talking about how great it was. It was such a wonderful, great, exciting call. And, and our human side is wanting to say, man, that was really bad. God didn't make us be on an earth that has that happen. That's not, that is not supposed to happen. You know, the cop part of us thinks it's super cool, right? Like, oh man, that was great. We had a chance to do this, yada, yada, yada. But the human part of us needs to say, no, no, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. And if we can talk about it like that, then we can put it where it needs needs to go, potentially. Right. Awesome. Um, you kind of got into advice already, but is there any advice that other advice that comes to mind, just generically speaking, for um, either specifically towards women in the field right now, or maybe just towards law enforcement in general that you would give being now that you're on more on the outside looking in? Um, be who you are. If you pat, if you legitimately got hired, you know, you didn't lie on any of your hiring tests or anything. If you legitimately got hired, your department thinks that you are trainable and that you could be a police officer. And if you pass the academy, that means you have the ability to do it. Um, Obviously other things come up and people have to leave the career, but most of the people who finish the academy are able to do the job. So be true to yourself, be true to yourself. If you're a girly girl, you can still be a girly girl wear your damn uniform the way you're supposed to, right? Don't add anything to it or whatever. But, um, you know, you you still have your whole life to be who you are. You, you, you can still be that person. If you're rough and tumble and people sometimes mistake you for a boy, be you, girl, just be you. You know, um, do your best, be true to yourself. There are people in the community that need you to come to their house. There are people who need to see you doing the job. There are older officers that need to see the younger officers, they have great hope that everything we have done was not in vain. 
Um, you know, when I walk into an academy or when I did walk into an academy class or I would go into a detail and I would see four or five women, oh my gosh, that was like amazing, right? That means that that's just one detail in one seventh of the city. And I had five women sitting in there. I mean, that was like amazing, right? But I just think that we, and, and women need to allow other women to be themselves. Now, having said that, pick your battles. Don't fight everything. Don't fight everything. But there's some things that you need to fight. Like if your vest doesn't fit, if your uniform doesn't fit, your department needs to provide you with a vest or a uniform that fits. If so, I know some of these other agencies, they go to distributors and get their stuff. Keep going and demand that your uniform fit you. That uniform is a tool for you. It's, it's not like it's just, you know, a sweatshirt. I mean, it's your tool. It's what can keep you alive. It's what can keep you safe. Um, that says it's not like a big deal, but we found out in Dallas that all of us, none of our vests fit correctly. And we were all struggling with it. And we formed a committee that came together and we got the vest, the people that were supplying our vest, the, con the, the contract holder for that, he was appalled. He was absolutely appalled by this. And they changed it immediately. They immediately started um, uh, getting our, our vests fit better, fitting better. He was ordering different vests. And it's because we spoke up. It's because we spoke up. In the past, people would say, well, your vest isn't going to fit because you have boobs or your vest doesn't fit because you don't have boobs or, you know, you've gained weight. Well, you know, whatever. We should still have a vest that fits us. I mean, is that bullet going to care when we're out there? So, um, yeah, speak up for yourself. Stay true to yourself. Do some of the things like that you are helping women with now, um, recognizing their need for movement, physical fitness, uh, knowing what they need to eat, the things that I'm doing to help them not fight everything, know yeah. whenever it's a fight and when it's not, when to just smile and move on, um, and really learn from people. Um, I think some of the easiest lessons I ever learned is I learned them from other people by watching them. So other people who I liked how they handled themselves, I was like, wow, that was really good. I need to do that. And on the other hand, looking at somebody and going, but chance in hell I'm ever doing that. So it's both ways. Right. So yeah. And find something that, find something every day that you can do better at work every day. Find something every day you can do better. And do not be one of those people that always moans and always groans. If And this is very unfortunate, but it's true. If you are one of those women who files a complaint every couple of months, every year, it's going to be a long, miserable career for you. And it's very unfortunate, but you're probably not going to affect the change that you want to change because people just aren't going to listen because... It's always a complaint. Right. That'd be my advice. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, final notes. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what your business is and how you can help any, any female or anyone specifically who's listening. Okay. So as you pointed out earlier, I took the 30 years of what I did and just all my life experiences and um, realized that if I could help another woman have it a little easier, I would like to help them with that. So I am a certified life coach for high-performing women. And I picked that group of women because we tend to have fought very hard to get to where we're at. 
And we need to recognize when we don't need to fight. Um, pick your battles. That skill that you use to get the job or to keep the job or to get the promotion or to be the only female on the streets or to be the only female in, a, in some departments even, that skill does not help you in your personal relationships. That ability does not help you raise your children. It's just contentious and it could be not get you where you want to be. So I help women just kind of get out of, out of that survival mode while still keeping their edge. Um, and then I also like to help people work towards retirement. My goal is to get the officers when they're younger and they start maneuvering their life, how they want it. So whenever they retire, they're not that old broken down cop who's miserable that doesn't know what to do with their time. Um, I like to help them get a life going before they retire, find a passion or purpose or their intention um, before they retire. So I'm, awesome. I'm busy. I like it. Yeah. So do you think it would be wise or maybe you could help somebody who maybe someone like me who was, I don't know, between five and 10 years on having some struggles, maybe, I mean, would that be a place where they could reach out to you? Um, and maybe more as like, a, I mean, you could do the life coach or, or maybe a more mentor role. Um, but would that be like a good, a good person for you to work with? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, one thing is as a certified life coach, I ask questions of the individual. So I don't talk to them for 10 minutes and tell them about my life and then see how they can make their life like my life. That isn't what we do. I am able to listen to what they're saying and then ask the next question and let them answer themselves on helping identify why they're potentially not exactly where they want to be or they don't have the feelings that they want to have or they're not having the movement that they want to have or maybe they're having too much movement and it feels like life is going too fast for them. Um, I help them identify if that's happening. I don't tell them it's happening. They have to figure that out on their own. Um, I do take the life coach hat off and go into consulting sometimes. If they say something that I know is really gonna be disastrous for them and they're not able to coach themselves through that. Through my questions, they're not able to come up with something that is actually healthy for them then I'm able to say, let's stop and let's go back, you know? Um, but yeah, that younger officer can come up with coping abilities. They already have them in them. They just don't recognize they're there that can make their career a lot easier Can also make their personal life a lot um, easier. And, you know, and our, our goal isn't necessarily just to be easy because sometimes it's the difficult times where we learn the most, we get the most satisfaction, but we are looking for flow. We're looking for um, a, a, a good flow, a comfortable flow. We're looking for sleep. We're looking for um, the appropriate appetite. We're looking for appropriate conversations with people in our lives. We're looking for the right amount of energy. You know, you're not waking up feeling like you have no hope and you just want to go back to bed, but you know, you're not going to get any sleep. So, and that, that is younger officers, unfortunately. And if you're doing it while you're younger, there's a good possibility you're going to do it, you know, a good, good part of your life. Right. Okay. Awesome. So you're definitely a great resource for any, any age of any female that's, that's in, been in a law enforcement career and in other careers, obviously, but mainly the, the law enforcement career. Um, and if anyone out there has, has some struggles or anything that they would like Kimberly's input on, I think she's an awesome resource. That's why I wanted her to come on the podcast. 
So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and how they can get a hold of you if, if they'd like to inquire on some of your coaching services? Okay. The easiest way to get a hold of me is through email because I know everybody has crazy schedules. And that is retirestrat6138 at gmail.com. And yes, that's my batch number. So retirestrat6138 at gmail.com. And I do also have a public Facebook page that you could message me through. And that's Bold and Brave Women. And it is a public page. People do comment on it, but you can also message me through that. And then once we have contact, I'll obviously give my cell phone number out and um, we can text or talk on the phone. I talk to women frequently. Um, even if I'm not hired as a coach, we still chat and kind of get things going in the right direction. I consider that mentoring. I had some very good mentors and they were not all women. I had some men that were mentors. I had some people that I really uh, learned from and I totally, completely um, believe in, in doing that forward. Awesome. I love it. Well, I think you're awesome. I'm a huge advocate of anybody who needs your help to go find her. Um, Find Kimberly Stratman. She's to the point coach. And uh, I will put a link hopefully to your your website or your Facebook group uh, when I put this out. So thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back on here again soon. Thank you all for listening in on this episode of the 50 Fierce and Fit podcast. I appreciate you all more than you know. If you would please do me a favor, please like and subscribe to the podcast or provide a rating below. As always, I exist to be a resource for female first responders for all things fitness, nutrition, and mindset. If you would like more content in those areas, please join my 50 Fierce and Fit group on Facebook if you haven't done so already. And of course, if you have that fitness and nutrition goal you've been putting off for several months or even years, shoot me a DM and we can chat about my one-on-one coaching options where I stand right by your side through the entire process and make sure that you smash those goals so you can ditch that extra large uniform, you can gain the strength you've always wanted, and ultimately you are confident in your skin and you are always confident at work, so you are always fit for duty and you always make it home safe to your family at the end of shift. Stay safe out there, y'all, and I'll catch you on the next episode.